0: Hey, hey, Ben. Well, hey, hey, Chase. Wow, it's just the two of us. Let's say hey, hey again. Hey, hey, hey. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like now we have an opportunity to say all the stuff those other guys don't allow us to say.
1: Yeah, he he literally won't hear it until it comes out. And then at that point, it's like...
0: Sky's the limit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we shouldn't. Yeah, I won't. It's yeah, not my podcast. They're friends of ours. So we're actually about to let the listeners hear the first part of a two-part series. Not something we do often on the Coyote Fitness Podcast. No,
1: but And, you know, we have we have a little bit lengthier episodes, but they usually have a lot of content. This time, we had so much content that we had to take up two episodes, which is pretty impressive. And I think it shows the kind of impact exactly what we're talking about has had on, uh, I guess, specifically Hunter. And then kind of how he's intermingled it or sprinkled it about his uh, cohorts. Management team. Yeah. yeah, I
0: think even if you take out the Caleb quotient, it still would have been they would have been lengthy episodes with content. Yeah, but
1: yeah, Caleb's featuring on these two, and he he does more than you do, as in as far as adding like extra words. That's saying something. Yeah. I, sorry, I didn't mean to roast you. That was mean.
0: <laughs> no, that's okay. I, I agree with it. So the reason it's a two-part episode, though, is we're launching into a book that has this idea uh, that was really revolutionary to Hunter's mindset. Mm-hmm. Mindset is a big thing for Hunter. It's something he's really injected in the Cowdy family over time. Uh, Uh, So let's just ask this question and get the topic started. What's your typical response when something gets unusually difficult?
1: Uh, In the past, it's been unhealthy. Like, I'll be honest about it. Like, it just, oh, there's a little stress. We're going to not do that. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, love
0: how you described it like you accidentally stepped in something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: stepped in a little stress right there. Let's let's go a different way. Somebody get the carpet cleaner. Yeah. So and I I think that's how a lot of people actually probably still are nowadays, which, you know, I'm not one in the shower room shy away from the fact that I've had a lot of healthy growth over the past couple of years, but not everybody's had that, but it's not saying that you can't have that, right? That's kind of what Hunter's here for. It's what his podcast is all about. It's like He's trying to help people.
0: Yeah, that's the big point. I mean, we all have these kind of natural defaults, and one that's universal is when things get difficult, I'm going to back up and like try to make things not as difficult. right? But this book that Hunter has read, and now the entire management staff, and even beyond that, because of the frequency that has been recommended inside the Cowdy family, people who are attending Coyote and all the different versions in the different towns are actually beginning to read this book. So but without further ado, let's launch our conversation about the obstacle is the way. The book we're discussing today is The Obstacle is the Way. The Obstacle is the Way. The first person that I'm aware of that stumbled onto this book, not surprisingly, would be you, Hunter, correct?
2: Yeah, probably so, yeah. So of
0: the 99,000 books that you've read in the past six weeks, this one stood out. You're like, hey, I need other people that are around me to read this. And I know this, uh, this guy's actually an important guy for you. You've read some of his other stuff. But what made you take the step to say, look, we have to read this together?
2: Yeah, so yeah, this is a book by Ryan Holiday who's um, very influential for me as far as not only what he writes, but what books he recommends to read. I I follow. But this particular book I read probably three years ago, and it had been something that as I was getting back into reading and I was looking up to people for recommendations, I just kept hearing the same book over and over and over again. And everybody's like, you got to read this book, it's incredible. And so I remember I bought the book. Um, and I went to cups on like a Saturday afternoon in the spring and I sat out on the back porch and I read the whole book without stopping. Just not like, I just couldn't, could not So I was planning on reading it. I brought some other books and some other work to do, but I just started reading it and I I couldn't
0: put it down the whole time. And so we need to pause here and say, now you've achieved a new feat in that you've read a book unbroken. I'm broken. Yeah. Yeah. Like just don't <laughs> break up the reps. You yeah. just read the book. Yeah. Just read it. Yeah. <laughs> PR. How long did it take you? Do you remember? Uh, A
2: couple hours maybe. I, I mean, I don't really remember. It was, it was like, it was spring. Like I love spring. It was, it was a nice day outside. I, I bought a coffee. It was like three or four in the afternoon on a Saturday afternoon. I didn't have anything going on. And I was like, I'm gonna sit out on the back porch and or back patio at Cups in Madison, and I just started reading. And I couldn't stop reading it, and That's it flow, man. Yeah, so hyper focused. <laughs> it was, uh, but man, it was it. It was I can literally point to that moment, and I definitely it changed my mindset. It changed the way I thought about life and a lot of different things. And so, whenever people ask me for a book recommend, this is the one or two. Books that I say first, you have to read this book because if you read this book, it'll completely change everything about your life if you'll read it with an open mind and um, attack it. So, as a as a group, as a um, management group of our gym, uh, we've started reading books um, together, and uh, this was the book that that we decided to read uh, next. And I I figured it'd be great because I know that you've read it too, Ben, recently, and. Um, it would be great to kind of talk about it on the podcast because I think um, if we can break, break it down into digestible pieces for people, maybe they can t- take pieces of it and apply it to their life, or hopefully um, they'll be inspired to go actually go out and buy the book and, and read it because I've already read through it several times now, and I know I'll continue to read through it the, through the, for the rest of my life. And um, I've continued to dive into stoic philosophy, which is what this book is about.
0: Yeah, so let's, let's address this really quickly because we have a lot of different types of people that are in our audience. Um, you've got a scalable idea here that can impact your life as an individual, but can also impact if you are CEO, CFO, if you're at the top of any business or industry, you can, you can apply these principles both at a personal level with very small things in your life or at a professional level, very big things in your life. I think this episode is going to play that out, how this particular type of philosophy that he he does such a good job. I want to point out just to maybe bait people into going to buy this. When you hear stoic philosophy, you think, oh, my gosh, that's got to be boring, right? But he has a unique ability, I think. Ryan Holiday has a unique ability to take these larger concepts and put them into just digestible format, these just powerful one-sentence things for me reading the book was was the exact opposite experience that you had Hunter it was it was quick i got through it quick but i had a lot of times where i ran across a sentence and i'm like man i need to stop and think about that because it's so challenging and I would take a break from reading and then get back into it. So interesting that you can interact with this book in, in multiple different ways. Uh, but I, I just think I want to encourage the people who are listening now to say, the stuff that we're going to unveil over the next few minutes is going to be really valuable no matter what place you're in. If you're thinking, gosh, I just wish my work life was a little more successful. I wish my home life was a little more successful. And even, I think a lot of this will come out, my fitness work was a little more successful. And obviously, when you think about CrossFit, obstacle is not too far behind in the conversation we've all faced that so I'm really interested to see how this conversation is going to help people push to those things that are normally stop signs yeah and this is this I think this is the second book we've talked about on the podcast
2: and the first was a Stephen Pressfield book called called turning pro and just so happens at the top of the jacket of this book was a Stephen Pressfield quote says follow these precepts and you will revolutionize your life read this book so I think this is a really good tie-in to the book we've already talked about before. And I think, like you said, it tie- ties into every part of life, not just personal, not just business, not just fitness, not just family. it It's principles that apply to every part of life that
0: can really change your life. Honestly, it really can if you will let it. So let's get into, he does a great job breaking it up into three major blocks, and I'd love to just kind of pace through those, and they progress. You kind of got to wrap your mind around the first one and move to the second one. And then my personal favorite part of this book was the the last uh, section, that third section, because it felt like it was like a push out the door. You know, this is how to get this stuff done. So let's build the case in this first section and and talk about what he brings up.
2: So I think let's just give a real quick, a brief overview of what the book is about. And I I said it's about stoic philosophy, but... uh, a lot of people like me. I, I learned about philosophy in school, and philosophy was always something that was really boring to me. Like I didn't really pay attention to it. I was like, man, this all this stuff is, it's it's just so abstract. How, this doesn't apply to my life at Definitely all. Definitely not applicable. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so when you hear the phrase Stoic philosophy, you think, oh, how this isn't going to apply to my life. But when you actually dig into it, there's you know, countless successful people who have been Followers of Stoic philosophy. And um, the main person that Ryan Holiday talks about in this book and quotes the most is Marcus Aurelius, who is uh, one of the most successful uh, emperors of Rome ever. And he has a quote on, in, in his book the, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. And that's the premise of this book is that the obstacles that come to us in life are, in fact, the way, not only. Um, do we not need to find a way around them? We have to find a way uh, to, to around them and through them that's going to make us better because of the obstacles. And that's basically turning the obstacles into um, a strength and, a, and, and the way that we should be going. And I think that's the whole premise of the book. And that's the whole premise of Stoic philosophy is that uh, we can't control uh, what happens to us. We can only control how we respond to it. Um, and so that's what the book is about. But, yeah, he breaks it down into basically three parts. Uh, the first part of the book is um, sorry, perception, so how we look at things. The second part of the book is action, so take, taking that perception and taking action. And the third part of the book is will, so
0: constant, constantly taking action over time. So So let's talk about this before we get into perception, because what you've leaked out there actually cuts against the grain of a lot of modern thought, which is... Uh, the path of least resistance, you know, maximize your strengths, contain your weaknesses, and a lot of the business language that's going on that has infiltrated how most of us approach life. If something's difficult, I'm going to back off and go around or ignore, and I'm going to go for something a little bit easier because the easier it is, the more sustainable it is. But this guy makes this presentation in this book hogwash. You know, if it's, if it's difficult, that's the thing that you need to focus on because that's the thing you need to fight to, to persist through which leads us into the first part of this conversation. So how does he build this argument in, in the beginning, in this first third? In perception? Yeah. Uh, so basically perception is how we how we look
2: about at obstacles, and like he said, I think the tendency in modern society is to look at obstacle and just turn and go the other way. Oh, this is gonna be too hard, I can't do this, or I'm gonna shut down, or I'm just not gonna think about it, I'm gonna self-medicate and, and do something else. But he's saying that first we have to look at obstacles we have to change the way we look at them and not look at them as an impediment. We, we just can't do this. We need to do something else. But we need to look at it as, hey, this is a opportunity for me to get better. This is opportunity for me to grow as a person. And also, it's going to, if as I figure out how to get through this obstacle, it's going to set me up to be successful um, in whatever avenue. And I, it's actually going
0: to be a positive, not a negative for me uh, going forward. So When you were reading this, uh, uh, Caleb, was there something that stuck out to you, like the master life experience? You're like, whoa, that's that's something I need to take into my own way of approaching things.
3: Yeah, especially with regards to perceptions. And I think before you even get to talking about the obstacle in this book, they talk a lot about preparing yourself before it happens. And so like on the very first page, there's a quote that talks about learning to limit your passions and their control over your lives and so that's what's going to help you when the obstacle does happen how can you turn that obstacle into the way that you're supposed to go or how can you learn to handle it it's almost preparing yourself before you get there so that when the obstacle does come you've limited your expectation and it's not that you've turned into a robot and you've just turned off all of your passion but it's learning to prioritize your passion so that when something does happen that's out of your control completely you're prepared to handle it because you've set up the expectation that I don't love anything so much that it's going to wreck my life if something out of my control happens.
0: Yeah, man, if that doesn't take us right into CrossFit, I don't, I don't know what would. Because part of what we say about this method of, of exercise and fitness is that you need to expect the unexpected, right? So you, you've probably seen this play out a lot in your own CrossFit career, Chris, and also in your close proximity with athletes, responding to what Caleb said you know you have something that can throw you off you've seen people throw an entire workout out in the first few minutes and especially being in the open season right now I think this really applies Uh, and I think at times that's probably happened in in your story in your fitness journey Um, have you made some decisions in your life about how to do what Caleb's talking about this perception idea
4: oh yeah sure uh one of um one of my favorite quotes uh during that perception uh portion of the book is where he uh he talks about uh, you know you can have this idea of okay this has happened and it blank you can either say this happened and it sucks or this happened and it is uh here is a here is a chance to do something productive or to uh to improve yourself um to change yourself for the better um and um, the first uh, the first example that uh, that you know that I think of you know for me was that not uh I've uh, with me in my personal CrossFit uh, CrossFit training I've never been a uh, never been a strong rower uh, and I could either you know just rest on the fact that I'm not uh, you know mechanically built for <laughs> rowing and just accept it and let it be what it is but then uh, last uh, last summer we decided that we were going to do a a five k five k row program which was you know. It couldn't have been further outside of uh, outside of my comfort zone, but um, I uh, but I wrote the program and decided that I was going to uh, that I was going to do it. And um, what um, uh, what I would tend to do whenever uh, whenever I row or am, or if I'm in a situation like that, I'll set these unreasonable standards for myself. And if I don't uh, and if I'm not meeting them over the course of it, so like this 5K for example, I, I didn't um, when everybody, I, I was one of the last people to actually test the 5K row and whenever I uh, I didn't go look at times, I didn't do anything like that. I just told, you know, I did not want any outside factors influencing what I thought was my best effort and I did not want uh, what everybody else was doing to change my perception of my best effort. I wanted to be proud of my best effort. And um, so uh, I didn't look at what anybody else was doing. I've told this story to people before. I, I took black duct tape and covered up the monitor to where the only thing I could see was the uh, the meters ticking down from five thousand down to uh, down to zero, and um, so uh, because of that, I knew that like what I was feeling in the moment was my best effort, and that I could be proud of it. And then I and then taking um, over the course of the next like ten or twelve weeks, and the countless uh, the countless. uh, Minutes and meters that we uh, that we spent on those uh, on those rowers, I was able to uh, to improve it, and I never um, and I didn't uh, didn't miss a week, nothing like that, because I had a positive mindset going into it, and um and I can give uh, an example just a few weeks ago with a class where we had a lot of um a lot of biking in the uh, in the class we were on the assault bike a lot, and um,
0: what an appropriate name, yeah
4: right, wow, <laughs> and uh, the um. Uh, one thing that I noticed was the people that uh, the people that came in as soon as I started talking about the workout, the people that I would see as I'm explaining the workout, rolling their eyes or giving that you know real just sarcastic chuckle and shaking their head, they were you know they were the ones who you know who performed probably poorly on average. The ones that went into it with a positive mindset, they were the ones that got the most out of that workout because they were able to go hard, they were able to attack it, and they just accepted it for what it was. It was a challenge, nothing more, nothing less.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we talk about this a lot around here, actually, the fixed mindset, the growth mindset, and what you guys are discussing now is actually bringing a little bit more into than I was um, figuring out when I was reading, but there are things that affect your ability to perceive things correctly. There are metrics out there. And a lot of times those are on on a display or they're on the whiteboard. We've been talking about this a lot around Coyote Fitness. Like, like if you're if you're fixated on the whiteboard and other people's times and what your times may be connected, then your your mindset is in the wrong place. You know, Caleb, you reminded me a couple weeks ago. We're here for the fitness, and I was like, I'm about I'm about to punch you in the face. I don't need to hear that right now, especially for all these people. Uh, but a lot of times it is people. You know, there's certain things that affect our perception negatively, and it's it's a lot of hard work and preparation to make sure those things don't come into your life, especially at the wrong times.
3: Yeah, I think with the, with the whole perception thing, and as you were talking about rowing, like one of the things that happened in the open the first, and we had read this book the last couple of weeks, but the very first workout, the very first round of 19-1, I get done with my 19 wall balls. I hop on the rower, and the rower monitor's off. Like I had someone there, and their job was to turn the monitor on and make sure mm-hmm. it stayed on, and it, and it was off. So it's like you get on the rower. You're, I'm doing this workout one time, and it was amazing how natural it was because I, unlike Hunter, I read this book in chunks. And so it was over the course of a few weeks of a little bit every day, a little bit every day. And so it was amazing how it was very natural for me. My perception of that in that moment was – Okay, this could either be that point where I'm like, "Oh, dang! I've just screwed up my whole workout. No matter what, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna have underperformed." Or you could see the moment as, "All right, I'm gonna catch my breath here. This is a bonus for me. Like, this is an extra time to just chill out, take an extra breath. I'm gonna be better for it." And that's a really simple example. You could go as deep as you want with the idea of perceptions sure. and the things in life that happen to you, but on a surface level, CrossFit wise this was just a moment where it actually applied and I know for a fact it was from reading this book and just reminding myself of the theme of how we see things we get to determine the definition of things that happen to us yeah. there are things that happen and we get to decide how that like what the definition of that event was
4: and it really goes along with what he talks about uh, um, if, you're, if your first reaction is an emotional reaction to a problem you really need to take a uh, take a step back and see it for what it, uh, see the situation for what it, uh, for what it really is. And, um, you know, like you, you decided to, uh, to live in, in that present moment to, like you said, you took, you, t- you t- took it for what it was and you didn't, um, you decided that you weren't going to worry about how it was going to affect, the final score all you can worry about right now is that round and that immediate that immediate obstacle yeah and it
3: was the all the conversations about prioritizing what the open means and you can do that with everything in your life and i think this book talks about that from the very beginning you've got to understand that all the things that you're passionate about you've got to categorize those and almost bring them down to what they actually are so that you're prepared for moments like that if you just elevate the open and your performance and all these things too much, then when something happens that is against that, that's completely out of your control, it's going to break you. And so it's kind of about getting those perceptions of things and preparing yourself beforehand, uh, how you're going to handle events. So whatever the category is, fitness is a really easy example. Yeah. Um,
0: well, I think it's easy, but I, I love the fact we could point out here that this book, I think, is finding so much leverage inside of our lives because we are intentionally putting obstacles in our lives multiple times a week. You know, I'm, I, it's been a real change for me inside of my fitness to think, this is how I used to think, the workout starts when the countdown happens and then it's a go. That's when the workout starts. After reading this book, I figured out, well, I don't really have an obstacle in picking up the bar the first time. I don't have an option the open workout. I know I can get through 19 and 19. That's not going to be any problem. But I was able to think because of the strategies of this book, what, what, what am I going to perceive? When is my perceived start of the workout? I'm not waiting on something to hurt so bad, and then it's like, gosh, just hang on. My new mindset when I'm going into Coyote East Day is I'm going to start, and when I, when I have that experience where I want to quit, that's when the workout begins. So everything that happens up until that point is basically just a warm-up when that pain kicks in, when the heart rate, when you start to redline, you're like, okay, this is where it's beginning for me. And sometimes that happens based on the movements within about a minute and a half. But sometimes if we're on a rower, I'm like, well, I've got a little bit of an advantage here because I'm going to be in kind of pacing through this, and I'm not going to hit that redline for much later than some other guys are going to. So maybe I can I can prove something to myself that I'm going to be able to sprint later. So all that energy in my mind that was going to perception that was fear-based – has now transferred into something else. This is an opportunity for me when that feeling comes on and I've got that lactic acid that makes me just want to roll around on the floor for the rest of the day. <laughs> that when that kicks in, now it's time to prove something about what my mindset was like coming in here today and that you know and the thing is That's not going to show up on the whiteboard. That's not going to show up in Zen Planner. You know, the people that know you the best will be able to see that. But even that gets to it. For people to be able to know me as an athlete, I've got to be there on a regular basis. So, man, this stuff just spills out like crazy. I agree with you. So let's make make a transition here. Any other stuff in this this, uh, section that was really important for you guys? I mean, talking about quotes I think is really inspiring, especially the way this guy can write them. Yeah,
2: I really like how he starts every chapter off with a quote and then you know, a lot of the chapters are just stories from successful people and how it applies. Um, but, you know, I think the basic gist of, of the whole section, he kind of summarized at the beginning. And he said, there are a few things to keep in mind when faced with a seemingly insurmountable ob- obstacle. We must try to be objective, to control emotions and keep an even keel, to choose to see the good in a situation, to steady our nerves, to ignore what disturbs or limits others. To place things in perspective to revert to the present moment to focus on what can be controlled and all that is just how you perceive certain things and realizing that really you're only in control of yourself you can't control the obstacle you can only control how you perceive it and how you react to it and um, that's that's gonna set you up to to be successful going forward and so I think that was the
0: the the whole you know, summary of the first section, I would say. So it leads me to a question I'd love to ask this just to represent, as I try to do often, the average Joe with guys like you at your level of athlete and CrossFit. This, the concept of emotion and controlling emotion, for me, as an average athlete, that's a very difficult thing to do. I mean, I just went on a big speech about how things start, but I had an experience just in 192 2 um, where I kept tripping on my double-unders, and they, those are a strength of mine in that low quantity. Like, man okay well I can actually breathe through these things and this is gonna be good for me and I had a whole plan and I tripped I kid you not six times in 50 double unders I mean it was over the workout was over and I knew it so historically I would take the uh, the rope and I would throw it as hard as I could against the, the the wood wall and make sure it made a lot of noise I was able to do that but I don't know that I would give myself an A plus on a motion control what have you guys figured out? Cause this is diving a little bit into stoic, the stoic philosophy and able to control your emotions. How did you guys control your emotions and workouts when things are, you know, if you can't get out a piece of black duct tape, what do you do in the moment where you say, all right, I need to control my emotions, channel this the correct way. Just some practical steps. I
4: try to just, um, to just always, uh, always remind myself that, uh, um, especially like in a setting like that where you're doing an open workout you you have somebody judging you and a lot of times um, people are you know hanging out watching and stuff like that I always try to uh, keep in mind that um, um, how I how I choose to uh, to react to adversity shows um, shows my character and um, you know if uh, if I can um if I can um if I can show good character most of, most of the time through adversity and you know and uh, regardless of a uh, of what happens, you know, be, uh, be positive and be encouraging. Then I can, then, uh, it'll get, it'll give hope hopefully to those people that are those people that are watching so that when they're in that same situation, hopefully they'll react the same way. And that hopefully that will spill over to their life outside of the gym.
2: I think that's a good way of looking at it is reframing it as instead of, man, I tripped up seven times, like, man, this is opportunity, maybe to, to demonstrate to somebody how to, to, Overcome an obstacle or keep your calm when, whenever something happens. But um, for me, you know, I, we talked about the Enneagram before, and I think different Enneagram numbers have different um, issues with emotions. And for me, like threes are notorious for stuffing their emotions down because they see them as impeding them from getting where they want to be. And I, as a kid, and especially in sports, I used to get like just lose my cool a lot in, in, in games. Like in soccer games, I would like get mad and like push somebody or start screaming at my teammates. And like, I used to throw my, <laughs> I don't my... mean to laugh at you, but it's yeah. just picturing you. I don't ever hunter. see that. Yeah.
0: yeah. Just like, boom, I'm, I'm the bully out of here. Come like,
2: on. yeah, if you, if you know me, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that. But when I was a kid, I would lose my cool a lot. I would throw my bat. I would throw my glove. I would, I would scream. I would cry. I, I you know, I would lose my emotions a lot when I was a kid, uh, in sport, sporting events. Like my, my sister always tells the story about when I was playing video, like NCAA football, in my room, and I got so mad about something that I broke this glass display cover from my from my uh, center console because I was so mad. Because and I just would lose my cool and just get angry all the time. But somewhere along the way, I learned like that all that getting angry and throwing things and getting flustered, like that wasn't doing anything but hurting me. That was only keeping me from keeping my cool and being able to. Because if I lost it in a soccer game, like, after that, there was no going back. Like, I, just, I was worthless the rest of the game. Mm. And so it was learning to t- take control of my emotions. And then something that I've learned as I've gotten older is that you are not your emotions. Um, and being able to realize that you are not your emotions, that th- they are just emotions, and that you can sit back and observe, like, I'm angry. This made me angry. Why did this make me angry? I'm frustrated. Why am I getting frustrated? And being able to to look a little bit in, deeper in, uh, inward and finding out what's causing these feelings and realizing, like, I don't have to react to these just because I'm feeling angry. That doesn't mean that I have to um, throw my jump rope across the room. I can yeah. say, "Hey, I'm angry. Okay, good. This is an opportunity for me to um, display a little bit of, of self control and not throw my my you know jump rope or whatever the case may be."
3: Yeah, yeah. For me, this was a uh And it goes back to one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in in the years that I've been at Coyote and starting CrossFit was that everything's not about success isn't in that moment. And if weightlifting and strength training and fitness doesn't teach you that, then nothing will. Like it is a long-term plan. And so this book talks a lot about how um, failure shows us what isn't the way. And so it's like, you can learn something from your failures. So in fitness or double unders, whatever it is, if you can learn to learn, if you can, I guess, learn to learn something. Sure. Every time something bad happens or every time you fail, then you're on the way to progress. And so one of the things this book talks a lot about is scientists, um, who, and it talks about Thomas Edison was famous for this, uh, with, trying to figure out the filament that's going to go in the light bulb. It's, he tried and failed 600 different ways to figure out what material was going to go in the light bulb. Um, and so for me, as I read that, it blew my mind because scientists naturally see failure as a step towards success. And we oftentimes see failure as just period. Failure, we failed, it's over, I've got to start over, it's a negative thing. And there's so many people and successful people see failure as a step towards progress. It's another step along the way. It's another step up the mountain. It was difficult, it maybe hurt a little bit, but so does a a lunge up a mountain, right? A big step up a mountain. If you just look at it with how does my leg feel after I stepped up, my leg hurts a little bit, but you're making progress on the way. And so for me in moments like that, where you talk about something as simple as tripping in a workout, well, if you learn something about that moment then you're on the way to progress and with all of us and with CrossFit and what we hopefully are teaching our members is that it's not about today's workout the end game is not what you put on the board today we're all in it for the journey and what we're becoming along the way in the process and so yeah. um, I think yeah.
4: it was, I think it was in that that Edison uh, portion of the book where it said that uh, genius is often a uh, persistence in disguise mm-hmm. That was great. God, that guy can deliver some $1.00. Yeah, it's not
3: not Shark Tank. Success isn't always a Shark Tank story where you have this brilliant idea in the laundry room with your wife and you're sitting there and you're figuring out a new way to wash clothes or some new gadget that's going to make your life easier and all of a sudden you're a millionaire. That happens, but for the most of us, success is going to come in just persistence over time.
2: Yeah, but the people on the Shark Tank, what you don't see is all the the years of experience they have leading up to it, all the work they've led up yeah. to it. All you that's see right. is that yeah. one 10-minute segment of them on TV, but you miss the whole backstory on all that. And, and that's it. what we see is yeah. we
3: see the their moment of fame in the five minutes
2: on TV, and they sold them, but you're exactly right. When I was reading back through this book the other day, I was thinking about just like the path to anything, and I just kind of had this image in my mind of like if you're trying to get somewhere, there's a path that you have to follow, some steps are going to be you know uphill and hard some steps are going to be downhill and easy but if you get to the hard part and you just stop because you don't know what to do or you're feeling overwhelmed or whatever you're not getting any closer to your goal but just because it's a step up that doesn't mean it's a bad thing just because it's a failure that doesn't mean it's a bad thing that just means that's getting you closer to your goal and that was the path that you had to go and the most important thing is that you keep just keep walking no matter if you're going uphill or downhill, you're always getting closer and closer to, to your destination and viewing everything as, you know, this is just part of the path that I'm supposed to walk. Something bad happens good. This is where I am supposed to go. It's getting me closer to where I'm getting and looking at everything that way.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's important you, um, you pause over that a little bit, but it's a huge point, I think, for where we're trying to take our particular uh, group of people that are in the Coyote family, which is awesome to be able to say, that you, if you don't choose to learn from it, we've seen over time that if you don't choose to learn from it, you will choose to leave it. And that happens whether it's a movement or just CrossFit in general. I mean, being able to make the decision, I'm going to learn from this. And one thing I want to celebrate going on inside the Coyote family right now is we have this larger narrative i think very appropriately to to use that appropriate here we have a larger narrative to say it's not just about today and to wrap up where i was in that situation i finished the workout and i i literally wasn't tired because it was eight minutes of me tripping over a jump rope you know so i literally could have reset the clock and i could have done it again i could have gotten a better score i knew that but i went back to some conversations that have been filtering throughout the community or social media different things i'm not trying to get to the games the open isn't my entire crossfit journey i did worse than i did a number of years ago there was a legitimate reason for me to redo this workout but based on some things that hunter had said before i'm not going to redo this workout because what's more important to me right now is making sure that i can continue to train in different ways even today and between the open workouts so that i'm not just beating myself up trying to get five or six more reps and then i wreck my overall objective which is the mountain The open isn't the mountain for me, and the way that you guys are talking about CrossFit inside the Coyote family really helped me establish that. So this really bridges us into the next uh, idea that you said it was perception to action, right? So this gets us to if we're perceiving things correctly, then we need to take correct action after that. You can't just sit around at cups on the the patio and reading the book and say, I'm going to perceive things differently. At some point, you've got to take action. So let's talk through the way that he guides us to start taking the right action. Well, I think the first thing he, he calls it is the discipline
2: of action. He just he doesn't just call it action. He calls it the dis- discipline of action. And I think that's very important um, way to look at it in that action is not is, is going to be hard. And you have to make yourself keep doing it over and over and over again. And it, when there's an obstacle in your way, it's really easy to just stop and have a pity party and just, just shut down and and figure out a way to um, just numb the the feelings that I I can't do this, so I'm just not even going to try anymore. And you have to develop a discipline of, man, this is hard, but I'm just going to keep chipping away at it, keep chipping away at it, keep putting one foot in front of the other over and over and over again because this is the discipline that I want to develop.
3: One of the things that's really cool about that and the way that you said it is, and I think it was actually the word you used in the book, was to train out your panic and it's like you you train out that freak out moment where when something doesn't go the way that you planned, something happens that you can't control or you haven't, you know, it just came out of nowhere, right? It takes practice to train that just panic feeling and being able to focus into. So I think what what's difficult is, that moment where all this stuff happens and these moments that happen in life is you've got to learn, and you almost learn the hard way a lot of times by, like you said, as a kid, looking back on those times where you you really just, it was oblivious to you, so you reacted poorly. But as you become more aware and you remind yourself of the opportunities that happen every day to train this, then you slowly will become better at handling those situations where panic is the normal, uh, the normal reaction to it.
2: Yeah, and the, the very first set chapter of this section is called "Get Moving," and uh, we read this, and Emma, Emma, who who runs Blue Shark, read it too, and she sent sent us our favorite quote was this: "We must all either wear wear out or rust out. Every one of us. My choice is to wear out." By Theodore Roosevelt, and I think that's that's such a good quote because what what he's saying is like get moving, like don't sit around and 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 contemplate and think about things like. Once you figure out what you want to do, you got to get moving and just keep moving. And I think that's what the whole gist of the first chapter of this section was, is like, get going, figure out what you want to do and just start working working towards it. You, nobody's ever going to know exactly what to do, like all the steps in the process. And But you have to just start working towards it and you'll figure it out as you go. And so many times we think about something that we want to do and then we just drag our feet at it. Say, maybe you want to join a gym and get in shape, but... I'm going to I'm going to look around and I'm going to find the perfect gym and I'm going to I'm going to find the the perfect trainer who knows everything and I'm going to find the cheapest gym with the nicest stuff and it's like man by the time you find all that stuff and you've toured five different gyms a, a month has gone by I think you could have made a month of progress in that amount of time who cares if it's the absolute perfect fit for you start doing something you know, um, and so I think that applies to every area of life, and I think we're all guilty of it of procrastinating, and putting things off. But just start working towards something. If there's something that you know you need to do in your life or you want to do, just start doing it, and you'll figure it out as you go. You can always find a thousand reasons not to do something.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's like uh, like you're saying, it is that. Um, it, it is uh, it is the discipline to make your first step a positive step um that uh, the quote like right at the right at the beginning of um of the uh of the action uh section it says uh um that uh, when there's an explosion a uh, metaphoric or otherwise are you the guy running towards it or running away from it or the one or worse the one that's uh, paralyzed and doing nothing that was uh that was uh, that was huge and um, so it really made me think about you know like for when things go uh when things go wrong, you know uh to really examine what my first action is is it to is it to get emotional or to do or to at the worst do nothing and um but uh so whenever things go don't go as planned so like I'll give an example even just this week was uh um we had a really really busy Monday you know that's our our meetings and things like that I've got some uh I've had some uh some one- on ones to do and my uh, my morning just got really, really filled up and um I ended up uh, you know not being able to uh not being able to train to have my you know my hour to uh, to myself and instead of um when I caught myself getting like angry or frustrated about it, the first thing I did was I went to my computer and I looked at my my schedule to try to say, okay, where are, where are the holes in my schedule? Where can I make uh, where can I make some adjustments to ensure that, uh, um, or to to decrease the likelihood of this happening again? And so I and so I made uh, made some changes. I think it's going to end up it's going to end up benefiting me. More in the future because because that happened. What was a negative at the time, I think, is going to end up being a huge positive for me
2: uh, going forward. That's really good, a uh, really good example, Chris, of, of turning an obstacle into the way. Um, in this, I wrote this this quote down from this first section. He talked about the discipline of action, um, kind of just talking about what we what we tend to do in our lives when our worst instincts are in control. We dally. We act frail and are powerless to make ourselves better. We may be able to articulate a problem, even potential solutions, but then weeks, months, or sometimes years later, the problem is still there, or it's gotten worse, as though we expect someone else to handle it, as though we honestly believe that there is a chance of obstacles unobstacling themselves. I thought that was so such a good quote because I think so many times we dally and we think about something, but we expect... Maybe if I just don't do anything, it'll go away. But that's just not that's just not the case. You have to attack. You have to you you have to go out and attack the obstacle and just skip moving. Even if you don't know exactly what you need to be doing, you need to start doing. Um, and you know, it's just on you. It's on you to get it done. And I think that was that was the gist of this.
3: The quote that I liked, which I think it really goes back to some of the other books you said. Like we've talked about, this book really hits on a lot of different themes that. pop up in other books that are based off this philosophy, but uh, he says disorder and distraction are death. And that's something that you see a lot is the, you know, whenever you become paralyzed by fear, you know, fear of or shame of being wrong or not being perfect, a lot of times our immediate reaction is to distract ourselves. Um, And so I think that that, you know, that's one of the things with whenever you are trying to take action into these things. Don't and don't try to be perfect. It's okay to fail. Um, And he gives so many examples of failure, but persistent, uh, persistently learning from your failures. Don't just get that fear of, all right, I'm afraid that this is not going to go perfectly. This isn't going to be the perfect scenario. So we wait and we just sit for weeks and months and years and try to wait for these just perfect moments because we're you know we're just unsure of what the future looks like and and so the temptation i think is to distract ourselves
2: um uh, one quote that i really like from malcolm x is by any means necessary and i think how that applies to this is when you find something that needs to be done you you go and you get it done by any means necessary whatever it takes to get done you do you don't stop until it's done. You don't stop until the goal is met. You don't stop until you achieve to what you achieved. And no matter what happens to you, you keep moving towards it. And I think that's just, that's how things happen. That's how successful people have success is they just don't stop. They keep going. They keep moving towards it. And in, in, in this section, he said that, that we can always and only greet our obstacles with energy, with persistence, with a coherent and deliberate process, with iteration and resilience, with pragmatism, with strategic vision, with craftiness and savvy, and an eye for opportunity and pivotal moments. So basically what that's saying is, we have to figure out a way to get it done by any means necessary, think outside the box, figure out a way to get around that obstacle, get over that obstacle, get through that obstacle, whatever whatever you have to do, if you want to achieve something you have to find a way to to make it happen and you have to just get moving
4: i think of uh, the part that really set the whole like if i could put the whole action section into one um into one uh one little quote one little sentence it was uh when he says that to try to have this mindset never hurried never worried never desperate and never stopping short so um The way that the way that I think about that is, you know, you know, no, you should not. uh, You should not ever feel like if something goes wrong, don't be uh, don't be so quick to uh, to freak out and let worry uh, overtake you and never let you let yourself feel like you're in a desperate situation because you know that uh, that you can get out of it. But only if you don't uh, only if you don't stop short, only if you are truly doing everything in your power to make the situation right. I like
3: the way that he ends this section of action with. Uh, the chapter is titled "Prepare for None of It to Work," and so I think mm. at the end of at the end of the day, what it's still getting back to in that theme of the book is that there is a large majority, a vast majority of our life is things that we did not choose, and so it's learning to master the things in your life that you haven't chosen, and so you know if we can turn that, if we can master the art of handling things that we haven't chosen then we're going to be able to turn so many things that are obstacles and so many things that are just that a lot of people visualize like you're trying to go up the mountain and something just keeps hitting you and dragging you down and if we can turn those things into if we can master the art of turning those things into advantages then it's going to make life so much easier it's going to make make obstacles Um, not that daunting. It's going to make us happier overall. And I think we'll be over time, you build that habit. And then all of a sudden your relationships, your work life, your, the things that you enjoy doing outside of work, all of those things turn into positives instead of just, you know, this, this, all right, I'm trying to do my best and these bad things just keep happening. And you just get that idea and you see that in a lot of people, unfortunately is Everything is negative. It's like the thing that you're going to talk about today is what kept you from doing what you wanted to do. And so he talks about it. he says you don't have to like something to master it. And so if you can realize that so many things in life are going to happen that you haven't controlled, if you can learn to master those things instead of just see them as a negative, then instead of every day are oh, what's going to go wrong today, it's where am I going to have an opportunity today? Um, all of a sudden your life it completely
2: changes the way that you wake up and the way that you think when you when you get out of bed yeah two two other quotes that I wrote down from this section that I really liked were always think with your stick forward by Amelia Earhart and and I just think that that's such a great quote because it's like get moving and figure it out as you go don't don't think that you're going to have it all figured out before you take action and then take action get moving make adjustments as you go but the most important thing is that you take action and then just a quote from Ryan Holiday himself is, think progress, not perfection. So if we think about well, this has to be perfect all the time and we're, we just get paralyzed because it has to be perfect, you know, just think about making progress, and I think about that in the gym every single day. Like It doesn't have to be your best effort. You don't have to put up a PR every single day. You're not going to put up a PR every single day you step in the gym. You're not going to have your best workout every single day you step in the gym. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to blow up in workouts. There's going to be some days you don't feel good, but every day thinking I'm making progress. I'm making progress by being here, and the the end goal is not – today. The end goal is the future. And I'm working towards getting fitter and healthier every single day. And I'm making progress every single day in the gym and thinking about it that way. Every single day is another step forward. It might be a step uphill. It might be a step downhill. Um, I might feel like I didn't, didn't. I'm not as strong as I was last time, but that's just all part of the path that you're supposed to be walking.
3: It takes a great deal of humility I think, to to start to have that mindset. And so he's, he even says that. He says, at the end of the day, you know, when he's talking about that, even if you're just learning to accept that bad things happen, um, even learning to accept that sometimes you're going to make mistakes and you've got to be humbled by that, um, that's, that's a huge part of that, is all these things we're talking about, it's really easy to say it. When those bad things happen, um, when something doesn't go your way, when you don't perform the way you think you should have, A lot of times it just comes down to, do you have this mindset that you're going to be perfect every day, that you're going to do the best every single day, that you're not going to make mistakes? And I think a lot of us really can use fitness to help translate that into the rest of our life and say, hey, in fitness, I don't expect to do perfect. Right? None of us are going to go into a workout, go into whatever you're doing, active that day and expect to be perfect. And so if we can take that and translate it into the rest of life, then when things happen, when we make a mistake, when something out of our control happens, we're able to say, you know what? I don't, I don't think that I rule over everything. I, don't, I didn't get to decide all these things that happen. And for a lot of people, that's just coming to terms with, you know, I've got to take a step back and be humbled and realize my place in the order of all the things that are happening around me
2: he had a great quote from Mike Tyson about humility, and it was, if you're not humble, life will visit humbleness upon you. And, <laughs> you know, funny, funny how Mike Tyson put it, but you humbleness. think about- yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you think about Mike Tyson, like that guy was on top of the world. Like nobody could touch him in a boxing ring. Like if, if somebody saw him in person, like it'd be, he was untouchable. Like he was just the, probably the the, you know, the deadliest person walking the planet and he had all this money all this fame all this type of stuff and if somebody like that is saying if you're not humble humble life will visit humbleness on you then how so much more should we be humble because that guy had every reason not to be humble and he's telling you you better be humble or else life is going to humble you and i think we can all point to to parts of our life where we were humbled by life and there's plenty other other times in life that it'll happen to us but if either you have, you have the choice, you can be humble, or you can have life handle, humble you, you know, and it's up to you. And figuring out how to be humble yourself is a lot, a lot easier route to go.
1: Man, that was pretty cool. At least what we heard so far. I agree. Yeah, which we were in the room and you were on the podcast. So you know, we got to hear it in real time. That was yeah. nice. Yeah, it was. It was quality discussion. It was, it really was. Uh Caleb did well. surprisingly, I don't know where Caleb came in and actually did a good job. And well, part of it he was prepared. He had the whole thing like that's true. He had a he had a color coded sheet, I think. Yeah. I mean I think mean, the whole page was purple or something like that, but yeah. it still
0: it's color coded. That's his style. I think it's something he doesn't want people to know, but we specialize in these segments of the podcast or at least publicly information that other people wish wouldn't be released so uh, purple is actually his favorite color Oh well. Yeah, he's, he's one of those guys. And if you talk to him about it long enough, it goes back to his experience as a child with Barney. It was I yeah. don't know, it's a difficult story. To that would have
1: that would make sense the full purple uh sweatsuit outfit he had on today while we were recording.
0: Yeah, and you know what I've actually caught him wearing that in between cl- there's this large gap between morning classes and noon classes. Right, I've heard about it. And I've seen him like change into that to run the floor cleaning machine. He <laughs> was pretty embarrassed and I told him I wouldn't tell anybody about it, but here we are. You know, well content you're, you're is only content. telling
1: me about it it technically yeah you'll edit this part out we're right? not well no, I won't. But we're not in control of who is hearing this. You know, you're just you're in control of me hearing it, and that's it. Okay, got it. So what we go to next in this episode is our outside
0: the box, pretty interesting conversation here because it actually leads to a pretty lengthy argument
1: between two. <laughs> almost of- it doesn't lead to. It's almost immediate. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> it happens so fast.
0: Yeah, and I remember as we're getting this thing rolling, I'm like, well, I don't know that we should really spend much time here. And then it really. Like, <laughs> and then we I, spent much time there. I, yeah, I was just waiting. Is Chris gonna flip this table over first or? hunter i'm not really sure and interestingly enough my instinct and i think the listener's instinct will be as well let's not interrupt this let's just see how it plays out yeah so
1: let's see it play out
0: here we go who's doing outside the box
1: outside the box <laughs> that was bold <laughs> next level
0: next didn't level. see that coming I'll right give there you, i will give some respect your direction <laughs> Taking some creative license and changing it. I don't know that it was better, but we don't have time to discuss that today. We are getting to our outside-the-box portion of the podcast, and the NFL has had some activity lately, gentlemen. So we need to talk about different things related to the NFL, the combine, CrossFit. If we had some CrossFit guys we threw in there, how would they do? Maybe just some general impressions about... Is it possible to have 1% body fat? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Who's <laughs> no. a, there was an in-body scan. And live? No. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And live? No. Right. <laughs> so it depends on what time you're talking about in history. So, so we got some discussion to do here on th- – there's actually been some controversy that Caleb and, and I were discussing off-mic about maybe we've got some, some guys that just have a great image, but they're not backing the image up the way everybody feels. I mean, it's just a different time, right? This thing has really taken on a life of its own in the past number of years. So let's just respond to how the Combine's going first of all. Or has gone, we should say it that way. Did I break how the barrier? Did, how did it go, yeah. How did it go, yeah. How did it go?
4: Well, I, the, uh, the big theme I think uh, this year at the Combine has been – how how well or how how athletic a lot of the big men are um you saw that with uh with Montez Sweat and the uh the defensive lineman from Alabama who was you know 6'3 you know 310 pounds and he ran a four eight forty. I mean just some really really impressive numbers and uh I think it's a it's kind of showing what's going on with football as a whole I think the uh the de- the defenses are slowly catching up with the uh, with the offense, and a lot of that is at the line of scrimmage because offensive linemen have not been able to keep up with how fast defensive linemen are progressing in terms of athleticism.
2: It just blows my mind that a guy that weighs over 260 pounds can run a four four two forty. 40. Are you like, talking that, about me now, or the? Yeah, yeah, the NFL, yeah. Right? Yeah, yes. yeah. Yes, Transition just okay. can, can, way. He went to Mississippi State. Yeah, no can, big deal. yeah, can you imagine like that guy running full speed and hitting you? It's a nightmare.
0: I'd rather not imagine. I, I, that would be the lack <laughs> last thing only you ever saw. In my, in my <laughs> <grandparents>. <laughs> yeah, that
2: would be the last thing you ever saw in this yeah. world if you got hit by him.
0: <laughs> that's, that should be on the front of that guy's jersey. This what? is the that's last thing you'll, thing you'll ever see. see. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but I mean, he ran as fast as Adrian Peterson, like one of the greatest running backs of all time. And this guy weighs two hundred six, what sixty-five pounds or something, yeah. and he run just as fast as him. Like that's just mind-boggling to me.
0: Okay, so if we, can we investigate the question for a minute? Like, what's causing this to happen? Why are these guys getting stronger and faster and better? I mean, is this happening? What's the deal here?
2: Better training, more training, training from an earlier age, uh, competition. You know, just more and more guys are doing it. There's more money involved, more incentive. They're getting their diet in check better. They're training better. I just, you know, they're – I think, you know, when we were coming up, people didn't even start playing football until they were like fifth, sixth, Sixth seventh grade, grade, you know, you weren't Mm -hmm. really training. Uh, you, if you were, you are you're doing back and buys and bench press or something. And now I think they're, they're, they're just taking the, the training to another level, and they're starting at a very young age. And, you know, that's just going to make the top athletes just that much better.
3: I mean, kids at school these days, like just about across the board, if you play a sport at school, your last couple hours of the day or your last period is like your sports-specific period. I don't think 20 years ago that was a thing, was it? No. um, I mean, never for me. It wasn't a thing for us.
0: I appreciate you not looking at me when you asked that question 20 years ago. (laughs) Yes, you are correct. It was extracurricular after-school activity. There wasn't a block for sports. You were like hanging. Everybody else was leaving school, and you had to hang around, you know, to continue to train, so – I don't necessarily want to dive too deep into this argument, but you guys bring it up. I mean, we are now building athletes basically from the earliest of ages. This has been happening across the world for a really long time. I know, Chris, you and I were in this discussion about uh, Olympic lifters from particular countries, their build, their makeup, identifying them early. But it is introducing a kind of a different level to the game, making it more dangerous, you know. We are responding to seeing these guys getting better and doing these incredible things, but it is upping the quotient of risk inside of the sport. Do we feel like that the NFL is going to respond to that appropriately in the future, or they're just like, wow, this is going to be larger ticket sales, more violent hits, people are going to tune in more?
4: I, I already don't think that the NFL is, um, is responding you know, the, way, uh, the way that they should. And, um, I mean, th- this, might, this might be a, an unpopular opinion, but my whole – I mean, I, I played. Okay, and um my, n- not in the NFL obviously. I never made I'm not I never made my living off of playing football, but the way that the way that I look at it, you know, nobody is nobody's making these guys play football for a living. And um, you know, with, with in, anything that you're going to do in life that to like drastically to make any kind of drastic change, like if you're trying to play football for a living so that you can um set your family up well for the next you know for the next two three generations or what have you there's a lot of inherent risk that goes on in there you know it's kind of like like being a there's a reason that like underwater welders make a lot of money is because that's a very very dangerous way to make money
0: (laughs) what what a great parallel there man i just want to like round of applause just like the underwater welder i'm like i was thinking the same thing right (laughs) So there's a level of responsibility that doesn't fall into the sport itself. You know what you're yes, getting into.
4: Uh, yeah, exa- exactly. And um, you know, and like I said, nobody's making you make make money this way. And and there are there are plenty of ways to um, to better to better your situation to better your lot in life without playing football and putting your body at that kind of risk.
0: If you think that um, the NFL is going to be a safe way to make some money, just watch the combine. I
2: don't right. think that's a good argument at all because there's lots of other occupations that are inherently very dangerous and if you can make it more safe why wouldn't you make it more safe like people that work in coal mines like coal mines used to collapse and kill people all the time like that same well you know you chose to be in the coal mine like if you die that's on you like if, if yeah. you as a, a, a corporation has the opportunity to make it a safer work environment why wouldn't you like every, every sure but sure but where but where is the line and I don't and but
4: that's I' don't I don't yeah where is the line that you draw there and uh, I don't I just don't see the case I don't see the case for people that can that are suing the NFL because because football has made me has made me this way. Now you know, yeah, sure, you know, you can look at uh, like you know they didn't they didn't have concussion protocols to follow and things like that back then because we just
3: didn't know. I was about to say yeah. you almost would have to prove negligence in that, but I think you guys are missing the majority of this conversation. Should be shifted to the fact that you could. Just be a kicker, (laughs) and it would it would solve all of that.
0: Or you could just buy a ticket and sit in the stands, right? I mean,
2: if you're going to play football, you should either be a quarterback or a kicker.
0: That's Uh, that's (laughs) where it's at. Um, But but like
4: you
2: know you don't you don't
4: have that you don't have the same thing going on with boxing, or uh, or you or the uh, or or uh, you know mixed martial arts. You know like you know yeah they don't want you to they don't want you to kick. uh, you know, kick below the belt, and you know they had. There are rules to it, but it's not like they're going out of. You know, the mixed martial arts, at UFC. I mean, you're wearing you're wearing gloves that are a quarter of an inch thick, and uh, you know, it's not like they're going out of their way
2: to make that safer. What unquote. they did make boxing safer. They added more padding to the gloves. They cut down the amount of rounds you could do. People were literally dying in the ring, and they're like, "Hey, we got to do something about this." They start making changes. Like, if you got a sport where there's like consistent, like progression to people having these major issues like you have to make changes and you can't just say well they knew what they were getting into like man like you if if you're creating an unsafe environment you have to like address that and change it and try to make it safer for people because we have like every every area of business like you you figure out there's something wrong you you figure out a way to make it safer and that's like saying like they can't sue because they had these issues like uh, a piece of machinery fell on me and broke my arm or cut my arm off, I can't sue because I knew what I was getting myself into whenever I signed up for it. Like, it's like the exact same thing. I don't see what the difference is.
4: Yeah, but sure. But what they're, what they're also doing is, I mean, you know, they are taking um, – they're trying to make it safer for the, uh, for the offensive player, and by doing that they are inherently making it um, more dangerous for the defensive player. And when you are playing defense, when you get hurt, is when you're in a moment of hesitation and that's when um, that's when you see guys uh, they're not sure they're not sure what to what to do so they go in with their head down even though they hit the guy in um in the where they're supposed to but because they're hesitating they're putting their head down they're hitting them in the chest it's messing up their necks and nobody's doing anything about offensive linemen and cut uh they're not taking cut blocking out of the game so it's a double standard you know like if you want to make it completely safe or whatever you know go all in and do whatever you want not just for quarterbacks and wide receivers and the people that quote unquote put people in the stands it's not a it's what they're doing to me is just disingenuous they're trying to protect the
2: people that are selling jerseys yeah I think the biggest issue people have with NFL is like all these realizations that they've been realized that CTE has been being caused for a really long time and they've been pushing that down because they don't want to address it because they don't want to have to deal with the consequences and so they've been trying to uh put that put that push that aside and and realizing that NFL knew about has known about this for a really long time and I think that's what makes people upset. But I mean I think they're constantly changing the game and making trying to make it safer every single year. And yeah, they're trying to protect the quarterbacks. But another thing you can do is like there's new rules. Defensive guys, we need to drill how to how to how to hit somebody going across the middle. We need to drill that over and over and over again and kind of reteach how you do certain things as the rules change. And I think that's just part of it. But I can't I don't think you can just say, We well it's it's unsafe just don't play the sport like you have to constantly try to make it a better environment for people especially if you're seeing a consistent um issue with people having head injuries and dying early because of the sport that you yeah. play i just
4: don't i just don't like the the constant moving line like 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 i was saying ben you know yeah. that just like we, there needs to be a hard line somewhere of like you know okay if we go past this line then we just need to take tackling out of it yeah. And, you know, if that's the way that, that football is going to go, whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if Just, that's the way it's going go, yeah, to right. go, that's the way it's going to go. Yeah, yeah exactly. Place. Pick yeah. a lane. Okay.
0: So I, I think it's like profit is a huge motivator. This is what makes this so complicated because profit is a huge motivator for the athlete. It's also a huge motivator for the league that complicates a lot of things but it it makes it interesting as a part of this discussion because what we're really talking about is our is the response to metrics i mean the league's got to have a healthy response a proper response to metrics not just how much money is coming in at the gate but the metrics of how the athletes are doing long term and even especially after they hang up the jersey in their career what their like life is like afterwards the, the reason I brought that conversation up is because now we have every year you have these new metrics and it seems like this year there's just been more of a temperature of surprise and shock about oh my gosh look these guys are just they're gladiators they're goliaths you know and these are guys they're being funneled into the league and we have learned especially looking at CrossFit when you see something like that happen it's usually an indicator that a sustainable change has just happened. We're not going to go back to people who aren't as good as Frazier or aren't as good as Froney. I mean, we passed that. There are people that are coming later that are going to even pass those guys because now we're going to start training CrossFitters from the very beginning because it's a a sport that's achieving a lot of respect. So this leads me to the next question. Do we have guys that are currently involved in CrossFit that we know about that could have shown up at the NFL? Fascinating question. Could have shown up at the combine and said, wow, these guys are respectable. Maybe they could actually play the sport because we're testing athleticism in these particular ways.
3: Hmm. Maybe. My thing is looking back at – and I I don't know if this works because these guys weren't training the way that they are now when they were playing sports, but you could easily just go and start with who are the guys that are excelling in the sport that played football and how did they do. Uh, We – I mean, Uh, Cole Sager's like (laughs) the one guy that we think about because he talks a lot about – I think he was with Washington for a while. Mm -hmm. And
4: it wasn't that – phenomenal of a career yeah and uh, scott pancheck was a uh i think a division um like a division three running back went to like a division three powerhouse i think he had a you know fairly successful career um, But he didn't play any he didn't play any
2: after college i um, don't know if there's any guys that would like dominate the combine i think no. crossfit like doesn't specifically train you to be really good at those really ex- explosive like short fast um, sprints and stuff like that. Maybe like a 40-yard dash. I don't think is CrossFit's going to prepare you for that. It, it's going to prepare you for the first start of it, but you're going to have to do a lot of specific training for that specific um, test. It might help your vertical jump or anything like that. But if you look at the top guys in CrossFit, they're all like five eight, and so <laughs> you're you're not going to see any guy that's going to come in and 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 wow people with their size but you might find somebody who could be a really good like slot receiver or something like that Um, really quick uh, first couple moves off the line um, really strong and powerful uh, but I don't think you're going to find anybody who's going to be a really good linebacker or a lineman in the NFL. Or if you took out all the stops
3: in football and just made it one continuous effort. <laughs> yeah. Like there, there no was huddles. no stopping. There's no like recover and sprint stop. <laughs> yeah. Reco- like no huddles, just the ball goes down. A new ball like pops like a video game. Like it just pops out of the floor and it's there and you just keep going. Maybe they would excel. That's if you want a bunch of
2: guys running a no huddle offense, you probably can find <laughs> yeah. people like that.
0: Yeah. I may challenge you guys. I don't often do this, but I may challenge you on that. Um, I know you've got to talk about size and all that, but I'm not necessarily talking about participation in the league, although I think you can make the case for the receiver who is a smaller guy, who is quick, who's able to get those third down conversions that are, like, so desperate these days in the NFL because of all these the, – the just the pace of the league. Um, I think you might can make a case for a few of those guys squeaking through and becoming one of those, like, I can get the crap kicked out of me, but I'm going to catch this three-yard pass and we're going to keep this uh, series going. But my question is, if they know what's coming, which it's my understanding, it's the same every year. We're testing these things these ways. Mm -hmm. Then a person who's involved in CrossFit who has just maybe not exceptional uh, ability to be a professional athlete as an NFL athlete, but they can say, I'm going to figure out the best way to train for these particular movements Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm going to go lights out. I'm going to exceed my God. We've had this a lot, this discussion a lot. My God-given ability, and I'm going to I'm going to figure out how to show up in these particular tests. Maybe I won't be able to jump that much higher, but I'm going to train for these particular things. Where a guy who's just kind of phoning it in because he's planning on being a professional movie star that plays football, I'm going to outwork that guy.
2: I don't know if you're going to find anybody running a four which is probably the most important test in the NFL Combine. Uh, especially for skill guys, I think you find guys with some really good vertical jumps. Um, they could probably rip out a lot of the 225 bench tests. Uh, probably do well on the on the change of direction drills. But I don't know if you're going to find in many people who are going to have the top end speed of of a of an NFL prospect because that's the reason those guys are NFL prospects is because they're they're so good at that 40 yard dash and their their top end speed is so good. And no matter how much you train it, I don't I don't. You know, I don't think you're going to be able to go into that elite. You know, these guys that are doing well in the NFL, those are like the top 0.001 percent of the population as far as, um, as far as speed. And I don't think any amount of training is going to be able to get you to that level. I think you can get close to it. Maybe you could get like in the 46 range, but I don't think you're going to find anybody that's going to run a 4440.
0: Okay, so we could say that the test is the test is just too specific. For the from I
3: get what you're saying. I think that the parallel – I don't know. This may be just complete heresy. I feel like the parallel that you're trying to make would best apply to could CrossFitters show up to some type of special forces training and do well like the grit like that determination of i can make this happen the thing that you train in crossfit with learning to push your body i don't think that the combine is that parallel it's
0: not taking
1: you to a pain threshold yeah versus
3: you know versus like this david goggins type stuff where he's you know he's talking about accomplishing these great physical feats like on the fly
2: Mm -hmm. um does that make sense? I yeah. think I think that the thing that makes you most, especially skill guys, successful in NFL is that acceleration and the top end speed, which is going to be exhibited in the forty yard dash. And if somebody had that, they would be playing in the NFL. And it, the fact that they don't have it means that they're not. Because if you have the option of playing in the NFL or being a professional crossfitter, you're going to be in the NFL because it pays a whole lot more money. <laughs> And so those guys, they don't have that top end speed, and you can train for it as much as you want. And you can be specific, but there's a certain genetic uh, component that's going to separate you to that top point, you know, percent, and that four, four 40 is what's going to make you the million dollars. And nobody in CrossFit has that because if they did, they'd be playing in the NFL. Right.
4: So, so let's say this. Uh, let's take uh, pick uh, pick your top three guys. That like if you had to if you had to take them to uh, to top three CrossFit athletes if you had to take them to the NFL Combine who would you pick and you know hedge your bets that these guys would perform the best out of any of the any of the CrossFit athletes and let's say like we're taking them at their at their peak as you've seen them in uh, in CrossFit at their peak uh, their peak performance Dan Bailey yeah Dan Bailey was one of mine uh, easy I also said yeah. easy. Um, I think uh, I think Froning would do well. I think he would. Uh, I think he would excel. Maybe not in the uh, uh, in the performance drills so much. Like I don't, I don't know how fast he would run the forty. I don't know what his uh, what his vertical and broad jump would be. But I think in terms of like the, uh, the where they get into uh, position specific stuff, like where they're running over the bags, where they have to, uh, you know. Um, you know, running down the line and catching passes and stuff like that. I think he would probably have the the best uh, skill transfer in terms of actually being able to play the game and not just being an athlete. I think Froning would really excel in that.
2: Um, i you know they've done sprints and stuff before at the games, and I think that would be the biggest correlation that in the Olympic lifts. And I've seen Easy Muhammad do have a forty. I know he has a forty inch vertical. I see him do it at Pensacola Beach, Brawl. So I think he would do really well. I think uh, Dan Bailey would do really well. I think Matt Frazier would do really well. Matt Frazier won the sprint event last year, I think, or a couple years ago. Um, and I think Ben Smith would, would do well. He's actually a very good sprinter, and he's actually, you know, I think the guys that have the the best Olympic lifts typically are the most explosive. And for, you know, if you can, like a 40, if you can get off the line really fast, you can have a really good a good 40 time. And I think those guys will probably get off the fast, off the line faster than just about anybody. Um, now that top-end speed is another ball game. but um, I think all those, all those people do well. I mean, you're probably looking at, you know, 20 plus reps on the bench, bench test, close to 40 inch vertical. Um, yeah, they could probably all run in the 46, 47 range if I had to guess. Um, and they, I think they would do really well on the, on the, on the change of direction skill stuff. So.
0: So I think I'm going to back off my argument a little bit. I've been I've been proven wrong, but sometimes the obstacle is the way, gentlemen. Uh, so I think what I've figured out here is that what I'm what I'm really getting at internally is to think I I would have at the very least proposed that a group of these guys you're assembling now would surprise people showing up and kind yeah. of like oh, oh man, that's absolutely. surprising sure. this guy this guy hasn't been training for football his entire life but he comes over here this is surprising. You know, He's it's, it's worth taking a look at. Maybe we find a place for this guy to play. You know,
2: I think that a group of them did go to like the, what's that school in Florida, the IMG Academy. I think that a group of them did go to the IMG Academy and either go through the combine or go through something similar like an athletic test or something. And I think they all scored really high on it.
0: So what I've been- Was I just, that on
2: YouTube or something? Yeah, it, it was a while ago. Was that on the Very Google
0: machine? fascinating. Uh, Joke again. Let me let me say this. I think something that's, that's hit my mind right now. It's feels like we should have a coyote combine. I just I feel like it's something we should put in place.
2: I'm not going all out on the forty. I just don't want to pull a hammy I'm telling <laughs> <you> right now. <laughs> that's what I'm going. gonna I'll punt that one out. This is
0: our pull a hammy. Well, we can have the kicker category and you could the last time. Oh no, we we've already had that. that. <laughs> we've done that. And no, no, there's gonna be hey, Caleb, who won to try to dominate who, who,
2: this. Caleb Who won the kicking contest? Uh, pulled a quad, <laughs> <laughs> was in the lead. Who won? Hunter won.
3: <laughs> that's, that's all we need to know. <laughs> pulled a – no, legitimate, legitimate like pulled a muscle mid-kick and mm. and almost hit a bystander with the football. Like leg went limp into the ball. That probably would have been a sure lot more enough, satisfying guess what? than making the kick. Yeah, <laughs> and, and sure enough, Hunter's like, well, that's a miss. And he steps up and he gets well, like what? two what, more what kicks after. What are you going to say? I, well, mean, I mean, you I, missed I gonna, it. That's it. Yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter how you missed it. Miss was it was a miss. And make um, you pull your quad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, I still had to drain the last kick to win.
3: He did. He I drained j- it. He made it. He got Yeah, I, I couldn't kick, so. Yeah.
2: But, <laughs> yeah, he made it. Could have kicked left footed, bro. <laughs> All right, so we need
0: to move into our, before this turns into a fist fight, we need to move into our uh, section of the episode where we talk about recommends, which usually is Hunter telling us the smart thing that he's experienced since the last time we recorded. Good. I'm, I'm going to go a little
2: bit different direction with my recommend this week. And I'm going to recommend... You, you you tried to get everybody to get on the ankle sock train last episode and I'm just gonna I
0: received multiple texts of that just said thank you. That's all I'm gonna say.
2: Well, I'm gonna go in the opposite direction and tell you that you have an opportunity to go on the stance website and subscribe to Stance Socks either on a monthly or on a every three month basis, and you can get two new pairs of stance socks a month or every three months for nineteen dollars. No shipping which is an incredible deal because one pair usually costs close to that, plus you gotta pay shipping, and you get to pick them out every month. So if you go on Stance and go to subscription, you can get two new pairs of very cool socks that are gonna look way better than those ankle socks that you're slugging around. For, ni- for for 19 bucks a month. Do you make them
0: sound heavy, they're slugging around. I, nobody, no one has noticed, actually, that since that episode came out, I've been wearing taller socks, and so no one said anything about it. It's just been a little bit of an experiment. Like, how, how much do people actually pay? Sell attention? out. Yeah, yeah. So I did go with black Nikes, so they're a little bit under the radar, you know? And uh, I think people are usually just so distracted by the mass of my calves, they don't have time to think about my socks. But I'll see your recommendation. Maybe, maybe I'll get on the subscription service, and uh, maybe we should make a, a friendly little wager. Oh, wait. No, we don't do wagers anymore. We're just trying to encourage people we're going to be wearing the, the correct socks. My question is, I feel like, what is the Gateway sock? Is it the American flag sock, or do you have to go, like, bacon, cartoon? Give us some choices here,
2: man. There's so many options. You just got to go with with yourself. You gotta you gotta know know you do yourself. You, man. Yeah, do you? I my still my favorite pair that I have. I, I got like five years ago when I started getting these is my uh, uh, pair of the uh, aliens building the pyramids. Oh, <laughs> that is true. They're, they're black. I they're, see. They're you. they're yellow sock. They're yeah. yellow. Yeah. They, yeah. And yeah. and they got a there's a, a UFO beaming up a a camel in in their the the <laughs> the aliens building the pyramids. Still my yeah, favorite pair to this day. Such a
0: complex guy. All right, I see you shaking your head <laughs> over there because you're, you're going to recommend, like, I'm going to recommend Hanes no-show socks. <laughs> no-shows. Just staying with the no-shows. Here's, here's the last little, I know we got to wrap this episode up, but here's the last little part of this. I just don't understand, like, the male ballerina socks. That guys wear they're not ankle socks they're like just the bottom of your foot socks i don't even know what oh they're, yeah you know what i'm talking about it's like women wear them with their with the little you know i, I don't get it I'm, when yeah, a guy I, like gets finished with a really tough workout and i don't know we need to exp- explore this in another episode but why people take their shoes off in a difficult after a difficult workout i do it too but when a guy sheds his shoes after a difficult workout and i see those i'm like oh my gosh what are you doing
4: yeah, I just I don't understand how they how they stay on his feet. Nothing will irritate me more than when like if a sock is like rolling off the end of my heel.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah. Especially on yeah. a pair of Metcons. I mean you're your toes, mm-hmm. yeah. So maybe tall socks are the way to go. We want to limit variables to our success. Maybe we should make sure to wear tall socks. No. Nah. You're not in you still.
4: Just, just buy, I'm just going to buy the correct pair of ankle socks. Correct <laughs> pair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stick with the ones that, that work that work for me. Yeah. All
0: right, so give us the website one more time, Hunter. I think after all our discussion, it's probably Stance.com. Stan, stance, S-T-A-N-C-E, stance.com. Yeah. Yeah, they have a really identifiable logo, so you can check. I'm actually going to check that out. Maybe I will purchase the alien pair, show a little solidarity in the Coyote family. Uh, I don't know if they make those anymore I think they might <laughs> retired them <continue>. yeah <laughs> have
2: those, are, those are unique you better not show up wearing those those are <laughs> mine That's, oh by the way if you wear a stance the logo goes on the inside not the outside just FYI oh
0: like in, on the interior yeah yeah. are they not labeled left and right yeah no,
2: no wow well some pairs are labeled left and right but uh, when I first got them I, uh, I, I was wearing them on the outside and somebody called me out on them because I thought I was like the logo should go on the outside but I looked it up and apparently the logo does go on the inside now they do have a few pairs
0: where it's it's different, But for, for most pairs, you're supposed to have the logo on the inside. Man, the inside, you heard it here first, folks. So here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to like and subscribe. But the most important thing we would like for you to do for the success of this podcast is to take somebody in your life that's important to you and let them know that this is valuable information. Until then, we will see you next time.